Welcome to the Pi Sigma Epsilon podcast, where we bring you a business advantage for life in the time that it takes to walk to class or drive to work. My name is Daniel Schultz, and I'm the Collegiate Vice President of Pi Sigma Epsilon and a member of the Epsilon Epsilon chapter at Ball State University. And I'm Kristen Pearson, the Director of Member Services at the Pi Sigma Epsilon National Headquarters. Today, our special guest is a consultant, coach, speaker, and best-selling author on a mission to simplify sales and create high-performance salespeople and sales teams. He's known for his blunt, practical approach and that he calls it like he sees it. We are so excited to have him on the podcast because we believe that his message is very timely and relevant in today's social media-filled world. So it's my honor to introduce everybody to Mike Weinberg. Hey, Mike. Hey, hey. Actually, it's my honor. Thank you, Kristen and Daniel and the whole group there. I'm excited to be with your audience. So for those that might not be familiar with your work, can you first tell us how you started in the sales profession and your journey to where you are now? Um, How long do I have? (laughs) As long as you need. (laughs) All right. You know, it's funny. I never wanted to be in sales. Um, And that's, that's not a joke that like my family still laughs about some of the things I said early in my career. Uh, My dad was like, a big time New York city sales executive. And I'm like, that's not for me, you know? So I thought I was smarter than sales and I was going to be a business guy and ended up in a miserable job early in my career. And then uh, I got a really good opportunity to work at a very fast growing company called Thompson medical company based in New York city. And it was a crazy job where I was the assistant to the CEO and the owner as the company was growing like crazy. And I got to do all kinds of really weird and fun stuff like, buy our corporate jet and manage a flight department. But the real life MBA came from riding around in this plane and then going on sales calls with the senior executive over sales and the owner of the company. And it really, really showed me that sales was not what I thought it was. It was much more about being a friend, building a relationship, becoming a consultant to your customer or your client, understanding their business, proposing good solutions for them and walking them through so they get really good outcomes. And I thought, huh, That is not, you know, I had a very different stereotypical view of what sales was. And when I saw that's what it was, and then I learned that salespeople not only have more fun and more freedom, but very often make more money. I'm like, you know, I want to check out this sales thing. So ended up in a sales role, moved to St. Louis. I've been here uh, 27 years. It's hard to believe I'm I'm from New New York and I've lost most of my jerk and most of my accent. But if you, if you piss me off, both will come out at some point during, during our conversation. So I've been in sales for 25 years, uh, the last dozen or so as a consultant and coach and speaker. And kind of uh, what brought me here was the fact that I got really good at selling because I really understood what my dad taught me early on, which is your number one goal in sales is to make your customer as successful as possible. And that should be your motivation, right? And if so, if your motivation is to bring and produce a great outcome and bring huge value to your client or customer, you're always going to win in sales because you you have their best interest at heart. So I, I learned how to do that and it fit my personality well. And I was good at going out and getting meetings and asking good questions and learning people's business. And it just led to a lot of success. And I never thought I'd be a consultant or be an author that people would know, um, when I wrote that first book, New Sales Simplified, I, I mean, no one really knew who I was. I had a small following online on my blog, um, but it struck a chord. And I'm sure we'll talk more about some key themes. So that, that's how I got where I am. I love sales. My passion, my why on the business side is helping salespeople and sales teams and companies win more new sales. That's why I do what I do. 
Well, thank you for explaining that. Uh, that really brings to life kind of what you can see in some of the books that you've written and in some of the podcasts that you're in. Um, but just in relation to this most recent book you wrote, Hashtag Sales Truth, um, could you speak to the fact that you differentiate between just sales and professional selling and that it's a profession? It's not something just like telemarketing. Uh, I would love to hear a bit more about where you're coming from in that. Yeah, it's great, especially especially for a younger audience of people considering a career in sales. I'm I'm a big advocate of the sales profession. It's a profession. Uh, I get really uncomfortable and annoyed when people talk about, well, you know, sales is the last resort. I'm like, no, sales makes the world go round. Like, this is the most important people in most company are the salespeople. Like, if salespeople don't do their job, nobody else eats. And and oftentimes you could have a company of a thousand people that has twenty salespeople. Right. Well, the other 980 people are dependent on those 20 people doing their primary job, finding customers and closing business so that there's finance can do finance stuff and production can do production stuff. I mean, it, with no sales, nothing happens. So the reality is that um, the, the stereotypical view of sales is incorrect. And the, the, the shame we have, like when we get a, a robocall or from a telemarketer, we're like, that, that low life that's bothering me at home and trying to sell me something I don't need is calling me off a list because they were fed a call by a, a random dialer. Like that's a very low level job. Uh, sales is not telemarketing. In sales, you're a professional who has a solution talking to a prospect who has a need. And your whole, your whole mission is to get together, have a conversation, see if there's a fit, if you can bring value to that prospect. So I really like to differentiate when I, when I talk about that because the people who are best in sales are not lowlifes, they're not greedy, they're not manipulative, they're super high integrity, and they, they take the advice that my dad built into me. Your job in sales is to help your customer win. And if you're always driven to help your customer win, then you're always, always going to win. Even if you don't get the deal, it's okay. In the long run, you're still going to win. Yeah, and you kind of just um, hinted at that the salespeople are there to bring in the new business and then well, so everyone else can do their job. And, and having read Sales Truth, you talked about how salespeople often get pushed into the role of an account manager. Um, so when it comes to that role and maybe someone that's in the sales role, how can they maybe push back on their boss of saying, hey, I'm doing stuff that you're not, you didn't hire me to do or that's not my specialty? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, we'll, we'll back this up and set some context for your, for your audience. That's a great question. Nobody asked that that way. Um, that, that's really good. Um, let's talk about the different jobs of a salesperson. There's customer care and there's some support. And oftentimes there's customer service and uh, firefighting. Sometimes we even run out deliveries to customers. We do renewals. We answer questions. Um, we try to get reorders or keep a customer in the house. But in my opinion, the most important job of any salesperson is to execute these three verbs. And I think these three verbs are really all that matters in sales. Create, advance, and close. And what happens in a lot of jobs today, because most companies are lean and they ask their salespeople to do a lot of things. If you manage a territory of customers or in insurance, they would call it a book, a book of clients, a book of business. Sometimes in the banking world, they call it a portfolio of clients. If, you, if, you, if it's a geography, it's a territory, whatever you call it. Most sales roles have some hybrid function where part of what you do is maintain existing business and do service work. And part of what you do is hunt 
to bring in new customers. And the problem is that most people default to account management because it's urgent. Customer has a need, it's easier, the customer already knows you and likes you, it's easier to call someone you know than call a stranger. You know, going to, going to maintain and serve and grow an existing account is easier than prospecting and cold calling into a new account. And what happens is people take on this account management persona, either because the company burdens them with so much work or because they like it and they, they like being needed by customers and it, it ends up becoming a very convenient excuse not to go see your jerk customer who may give you this much business, but you really should have this much business with them. So the, all that comes from the reality that there are lots of different sales roles and account management's a great job. There are people, uh, uh, Pepsi company, Pepsi and Frito-Lay hire students out of Kansas State University and, uh, and their sales program. And those, those early salespeople, I mean, it's truly a route sales job. They are maintaining existing business. They're filling orders. They're doing merchandising. It's a good job. It's a great start. Um, but that type of behavior is not going to bring you in new business, right? So that's where the, the challenge comes between account management and service and hunting. So I, I'll pause there and let you clarify if, if I didn't quite get what you wanted there. Oh, no, that's just, I'm just more thinking about our audience that uh, maybe they're newer to a role, so they don't feel like they kind of have that clout within their company yet. Yeah. However, they truly feel like that they need to be creating, advancing, and closing, but instead they're going out to dinner with someone or um, uh, something that you mentioned was planning the holiday party, like doing the other things. How do we have our young salespeople moving? Okay, yeah. So let me, do, I'll just attack that real quick. So what you're describing is the, where the company kind of forgets the salesperson's job. Mm-hmm. And they ask you to do everything and you're doing dishes and you're on the committee for this and you, it takes away your selling time. And the truth is, and I can't believe I get paid by companies to tell them this, but I always make sure I cash their check before I give them this advice. But the, the reality is the number one reason salespeople don't sell more is because they don't spend enough time selling. They're working. I, I see many of the sales teams I work with, their salespeople work 50 hours a week but they spend half the day playing in their email inbox, dealing with problems and issues. That's not selling, that's servicing. And they're not the same thing. You gotta carve out time to sell. So the best salespeople get really selfish and they're good at telling their boss or their company, hey, I know you want me to be on this committee or come to this meeting, but you know what? I gotta fill my pipeline with sales opportunities and I got opportunities in there that are hard that I need to work right now because I gotta make my number. I got to make my number and I, the company needs me to make my number. And it's more important that I spend my time selling, creating, advancing, closing sales opportunities than sitting in this committee meeting. So sorry, but I'm going to ask you to let me go and go do what I need to do. And that's, that's a really good attitude because especially for your younger listeners and people that are new in their career, the world is going to overburden you with more work than you could do. And we're all addicted to this thing, right? I'm holding up my iPhone and, um, (laughs) The reality is you could work all day and not be productive. And in sales, and I want everyone to hear me as clearly as possible here, sales is different. You don't get paid to do work. No one really cares how many hours you work. At the end of the day, one thing matters. What did you sell? How did you do it against your quota or against your goal? And, and no one gives you a, a standing ovation for working the most hours or processing the most emails. You get judged on what you produce. So you got to get good at saying no to things that don't help you sell so you can spend more time in things that move the needle. 
And that's a really strong point that you mentioned um, that being active in sale and selling, I think that's something that some of the people who have the uh, benefit of having a college with sales classes hear that sometimes. But with that, we also hear many different things from all, all sorts of people on LinkedIn, like you mentioned, that are claiming to be experts. And as a young professional, it's hard to differentiate some of those people who do know what they're talking about and people who are, are just spewing garbage. Could you talk a little bit about how to spot those sales truths or the lies? Yeah, boy, Daniel, you opened up a can of worms there. It makes me uh, get a little agitated. I, I wrote this book. Um, for those of you just listening to audio, I'm holding up the cover of Sales Truth here. Um, I wrote this book because I was angry and I felt like I needed to set the record straight because over the last 10 years in sales, what's happened is there's a, it doesn't take any, there's no barrier to entry to being a sales thought leader or an online expert. So you could be in your mother's basement blogging away and have no clients and no credibility and no track record, but get a lot of people to listen to you because what you say makes them happy. And unfortunately in the sales world, there are a lot of charlatans as my friends and I call them on LinkedIn, preaching stupidity and nonsense that everything in sales has changed. And if you don't bring in the new tool, the new process, the new trick, and if you keep using those traditional methods, you're gonna fail. So there's, there's this constant buzz online that you need the latest, greatest slick trick or tool or technique. And I'm going to tell you that uh, I've never seen a sales team struggle or fail because they didn't have some new tool or process. They fail because they don't have the basics mastered. So the caution is just be careful when you're on LinkedIn looking for sales advice, remind yourself that you have no way of vetting the credibility of the people whose advice you're reading. And I, I would always challenge you to make sure they really have clients and they have a track record of helping turn around sales teams because most of the stuff that's being preached online is not going to help you. And, and a lot of people, it's like a giant marketing, you know, bungle. I mean, it's, it's, it's all a mess of people with an agenda trying to sell you their social selling tool, their inbound marketing tool, their training to do this. And you just be careful the people, I don't have an agenda. I'm agnostic. You know, I, I don't have a favorite sales process. I just want people to use all methods necessary to get meetings, to do, do, do good discovery, create advanced sales opportunities. So I would just be careful of people preaching that there's one way. And I would be careful of people who are always telling you, oh, everything in sales has changed. If you do stuff the old way, you're a moron. Anyone who knows what they're doing blends old and new together and, and is very reasonable in what they talk about. So do you have um, an opinion on the term fake it until you make it? Because I feel like that might be a lot of the LinkedIn experts, quote unquote, just trying to put content out there. And so they're hoping that one day they'll get better at it. And that, you know, the whole advice of you can't be better at it unless you do it. Is this where we're finding some of the problems? Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I, I, I don't know if it totally fits into fake it until you make it. Because, you know, there's newer salespeople who are younger in their career always feel like they're up against the youth. You know, like I finally feel like, hey, I've got some gray hair now, I've earned it. So when I speak, someone's like, oh, this guy's been around the block. And you know, when you're 25 years old, it's really hard to have a meeting with a senior person at a, at a prospect or a client and have them ha give you credibility. So I don't know that we wanna fake it, um, but the, the message I'd share with salespeople is, you can do a really good job selling, representing your company without being a total expert in your industry yet. You can run a good sales call. You can set up the meeting well. You can ask good questions. You can tell your company's story. 
You could share case studies, which are nothing more than successes of how your company has helped other clients like that, like the one you're talking to and have a very intellectual, intelligent conversation um, without being the expert. And then you can always phone a friend, you know, like it's like in the old day, you know, get, get help, bring your subject matter expert in. So I'm, I'm, I don't like when people fake it because you can get caught when you're faking it. And I think authenticity and honesty and integrity are like paramount in everything, but particularly in sales. As you mentioned that and trying to learn and not necessarily having the most experience at the time, uh, something that you mention in the book is the bridge line and how you respond or frame questions and how that can make such a big impact. For some of the people who may not know, um, because I think that without being an expert, the way that you explained what that impact is and how that affects a, a sales process can be profound. That's really good, Daniel. Yeah. So let's talk about the bridge line and where that comes from. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it more in terms of how to tell your, your story and the message versus how to ask questions. Sure. Um, this is coming out of chapter 10 in Sales Truth, and it basically says a compelling message changes everything. Um, in the old days, salespeople used to be accused of puffery of exaggerating. They would be like, ah, just a salesperson. They're overstating the benefits of what they sell. Today, I see the opposite. I see lazy, boring salespeople that don't dress up or put a little pretty bow on their offerings. They, they don't put any energy into telling their story. And the biggest sin when salespeople message is that they are self-focused. They talk about themselves, their company, the company history, their products. We do this. We do that. We're the biggest. We're the best. We offer. Ugh. None of that's compelling. So the bridge line that you brought up is a, a very simple phrase I created that forces the salesperson to bridge into talking about the issues they address for their customers. So let me give an example. The only way to do is give an example. Um, I work with a lot of Mack truck sales teams from their dealerships and also from the factory. And those guys that sell for Mack trucks have been doing it a long time. They're so proud. They love the company. They love the bulldog. They love the brand. Uh, many of them work for companies that have been in business four generations um, where their family after family after family hands it down. And those people sell Mack trucks in a certain region of the country. So when those guys give their message, they're always so boring. They're like, hey, Mac's the best. You should buy from us. I've been here 18 years. It's a family held dealership. It's in its fourth generation. Every Mac truck gets a bulldog. Everyone's made in America. And I listen to that and I go, gosh, that's boring. It's self-focused. Because in the trucking world, there are three really big issues that everyone who has a fleet of trucks has. Uh, a, a driver recruitment and retention. There's, no, there's not enough truck drivers in this country. Number two, fuel economy. Fuel's the biggest expense. Every truck fleet wants more fuel economy. And then number three, uptime and downtime. Okay, because when the truck goes down, not only do you miss a delivery and lose money, but you might lose the customer because you lose reputation. So if we know, so I'm, I'm setting this up for a reason. If we know the big issues are driver keep, keeping and, fi and finding and keeping drivers, uh, fuel economy and uptime versus downtime, the bridge line would be something like this. The type of customer turns to us when? So if I'm a Mack truck sales guy selling to a fleet of uh, shipping companies, right? I'd say shipping companies turn to my dealership and Mack when they're struggling to find and keep good drivers. They've got significant uh, initiatives to increase fuel economy. And they're so frustrated with the amount of time that their trucks are down and they're losing money and reputation. So the bridge line is, the, is getting this, the type of company turns to us when. Uh, fleets turn to us when. I'll do, I'll do my bridge line in my business. I work with a lot of software companies, okay? 
So let's say I was talking to an executive of a software company that was looking for some sales help. Instead of saying, well, I'm a consultant and I'm a great sales trainer and I have three best-selling books, which is what most people would say. That, that's self-focused, right? Me, me, me. I do this. I do this. I'm so great. And I'm talking to a software executive. I say, hey, you know what? Right now, a lot of software companies are looking to me when they're frustrated, their sales team lives in reactive mode and they're dependent on some lead generation mechanism, creating appointments, and they're frustrated the salespeople are sitting on their butt and they're waiting to chase an opportunity and create one. And they turn to me when they wanna create a team of proficient sales hunters who know how to prospect, who can create opportunities, do great discovery, keep the funnel full, and close a ton of high profit new business. Okay, the difference between me saying, I'm a consultant, I'm a guy, I got books, and me saying, hey, people like you come to me when? They're struggling with A, they're trying to achieve B, they really want C. That's the bridge into those issues. And the moment a salesperson can master that bridge line and have a good list of the issues they address for their clients, problems they solve, pains they remove, outcomes they create, uh, results they achieve, everything changes. So that's such, there's nothing more important a salesperson can do than get a good story. And that bridge line is like a foolproof way of getting you in to talk about stuff that matters to customers. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's even, I mean, and you're talking about big companies and even down to the lowest level, if someone's doing their elevator pitch or, um, you know, anything with an interview, that's fantastic advice for that as well. Whenever you talk about a pain point instead of just about you and what you're, what you are. So Kristen, that, Kristen that's, that's spot on. If you ever, and I'm, I don't call it an elevator pitch because most selling doesn't happen in elevators, but, but that's the perfect analogy. If you meet somebody at a social event, a cocktail party, you're having coffee, and they say, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Never answer that question. You don't say what you do. You tell them how you help them. You know what I do? Uh, they come to me when? They're struggling with A. They're looking to achieve B. They're hoping for C. If you can get that A, B, C down, and those are always issues that matter to the customer, everything changes. And all of a sudden, they go, really? I'd love to talk to you. And then you have a meeting and you have a prospect. Yeah. I feel like I'm in class right now. I love this. I'm in class. I learn every time I do this. So, (laughs) Um, Well, changing gears, but not really then. Um, So I've been to Kansas State University and um, I was there for Pi Sigma Epsilon and they have a tremendous sales program. And I guess we can actually give you some credit for that um, because of you've mentioned it in Sales Truth, but uh, can you tell us more about your work at KSU and how they're using your content to teach their sales courses? Yeah, let's talk about Kansas State's great victory over Mississippi State on Saturday in football. <laughs> <laughs> they overcame the cowbells and the 100-degree weather. So, yeah, and let me just say something. I don't, I don't take any credit for the success of that program. Um, we have a mutual friend, it sounds like, Kristen, in uh, Dr. Don Dieter, whom I absolutely love. She has been a great friend and supporter uh, she endorsed New Sales Simplify when it first came out and started using with her students and we just built a great friendship. So she's been great to me and I've helped contribute to the program and I'll, I'll guest teach a section of the class, you know, once a semester I'll show up and do it online or my daughter's actually an architecture student in Kansas State. So I actually get to the campus and see them. They're just really doing a great job. They, they are putting students in a situation where they're having to learn how to sell and not just in the academic sense. Um, in her advanced sales class, the students are actually selling. They're running an auction. They're selling tickets. They're doing fundraising. They're uh, recruiting donors. So they, they have to deal with uh, messaging and rejection and prospecting and follow-up and leaving voicemails. And it, it really has been uh, a huge boost for the program because 
the students getting hired out of there are coming to the workforce uh, not as just neophytes and they're not scared and they've had practice doing the hardest part of selling, prospecting. So the employers going there love it. And Dawn and her, her team, there's a new professor there named Michael Krush, who is uh, he's uh, teaching a sales leadership class and um, they're just doing great stuff. And I'm honored they're using all three of my books now and um, beautiful building, great people. You know, it's Kansas. Everyone there is just, they're just awesome folks. And I, I'm honored to be associated with them, truthfully. Thank you, Mike, for all that you do there at Kansas State, and especially uh, like to be a little selfish, and thank you for how you help the PSC members over there. Um, just as we come here towards the end of this episode, at the end of our episodes, we like to ask the PSC people that are with us, if we're interviewing them, how PSC has been their business advantage for life. That's one of the mottos that we have. It's a big thing. And so we'd like to ask you something along those same lines. Uh, what has been your business advantage for life? Mm. Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go down a couple paths. Um, number one, uh, I had people in my life from the beginning who told me that I was good and I could do something and I was valuable. And that's helpful. And, and if you blend in uh, my personal faith, that also tells me that my identity is not wrapped up in my success or what I'm doing at work. Um, that really helps you be more effective because you're operating and selling from an abundance mentality. So I'm not scared to fail. And in sales, I think it's really important that you, you understand you're going to have wins and you're going to have losses. And sure, you take it personally. And I hate losing. I hate losing more than I like winning. But there's also something really healthy about knowing that when you lose, it doesn't mean you're a loser and that you come back and you fight the next day and that you're good and you can bring value to the community, to the world, to your customers. And honestly, it's the lessons I learned of just resiliency and that um, you bring value that I've kind of kept in my back pocket and keep you through uh, the good times and the hard times. And, you know, right now people look at me and they see the books and the demand and like, oh, it's all awesome. Well, it wasn't always all awesome. There were, there were low points that led to high points. And, you know, it's, when you're younger, it's, it seems more uh, dramatic and tragic. But the older you get, the more seasons you have in your life where things go up and down. They kind of porpoise. So you, enjoy, you learn to enjoy the, the blessing of the good times and you expect that harder times will come at some point, but you got to keep pushing through. So I think that's been really instrumental in helping me just stay balanced and have a good perspective and, and keep fighting. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.